Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. Today we're going to talk about something that comes up a lot in the Discord. There are a lot of questions around this particular topic, and it comes up a lot in client work too. And that is imposter syndrome. So to highlight what imposter syndrome is, I'm actually going to share an example from a brand new client. So this client comes to her first coaching session, and we're having that conversation about what she wants out of coaching. And she starts to tell me a story. So this client is self-employed, and she starts to tell me a story about a client who seemed really happy with the work that they had done together. And she sent this client the final deliverable along with an invoice, and the client stopped responding. Now, stepping back from the situation, my client recognized that her client was really happy with the work, that there were no signs that the reason that the invoice wasn't being paid had to do with the quality of her work. All of the evidence pointed to that likely scenario, yet the lack of communication from her client and the lack of context there caused her to start bringing in her own context. She started ruminating. She started spiraling, thinking that this client must be unhappy. Maybe all of my clients are unhappy. This client of mine is pretty new in her business. So those moments of, what am I doing? Am I even qualified to do this? Do I even know what I'm doing? And what's interesting here is when she steps back, She knows that she's good at what she does. The work she's doing now is informed by her lifetime career. She's amazing at what she does. She knew that this client was happy. And as it turned out, the client was incredibly happy. The client emailed her a couple of weeks later and said, I'm so sorry that I delayed on paying this invoice. Things went really well with the final product. Thank you so much. Everything was wonderful. So what happened with my client? Cam, I'm going to turn it over to you to break down that scenario a little bit. What is that disconnect between what is real and this story we start to tell ourselves? We're not only are we painting a picture of failure in a single scenario where it doesn't exist, we then spiral outward where we start to feel like we're failing on a bigger level. We start to wonder, who am I to think I know anything? Who am I to have the success? Who am I to think that I am an expert in this area? Who am I to think that I know anything? Who am I to think that I can do this at all? I really appreciate that story of that client. And imposter syndrome is something that has been identified professionally since the mid-70s and not connected to ADHD. But when we talk about ADHD, when we talk about how it can manifest, this is something that is really ubiquitous. This is something that a lot of people nod their head of this, wow. I will often feel like a fraud. I feel that even people say, that was a great job. There's this voice that's really trying to dismantle that evidence of work. And so there is a connection. There's some reasons for that. And today, what we want to do is, you know, applying our model of understand, own, translate. When we start to understand these phenomenons that are occurring, we can do something about it. That's the magical piece about ADHD. So. You started this with your client. That first bit was when we don't have all the information. And you just said it. It was like, 
we start to fill in the blank when there's a blank. And it's just this, okay, they didn't reply. The non-response. How often, listeners, do you kind of get caught up or triggered or start to spiral when something doesn't happen and you expect it to? When that person doesn't reply to the text message, the email, it's the crickets. And it's what we do with those crickets. It's starting to fill in the blank. And this is where we activate that high associative. And it's like, well, they're not responding. This must mean this. And we create meaning out of thin air. This must mean this. And where do we go? Do we go awesome and positive? No, we go negative because we will often chase the negative signal in the brain. And this is tethered back to that negative self-talk and inner critic that we introduced way back in the beginning of 2020, I believe, is when we talked about negative self-talk. So imposter syndrome is really, it is something that is connected to this inner critic. When the inner critic kind of gets a hold of the, the megaphone and the narrative is when we're open and vulnerable to imposter syndrome. My own work around imposter syndrome, a lot of it had to do with recognizing that when clients went dark on me, when they stopped replying, that it didn't have anything to do with me. And that was really tough as a new coach. You know, it still happens to this day. It happens less frequently because I'm better at setting up expectations with my clients than I was then, both in terms of what I expect of them and what they should expect of me. So my clients are showing up more committed to coaching than they were then. But still, a client goes dark every once in a while and you just hear nothing. And it's really easy to make it about you. And as a coach, that's really a double-edged sword because that is the one thing we are never supposed to do, right, Cam, is make it about us. So learning that it's never about me. And it really never is, by the way. It is never about me. And in the rare case that it is about me, well, that client just wasn't a good fit. And that's okay. Right. When you say it's never about me, it's not about taking responsibility. It's really about this coaching mindset. It's that being what we call lovingly detached. Our clients have their life, their dilemmas, their challenges, their opportunities, and we have ours. And this is, again, that part of that serenity prayer of distinguishing what we can and cannot control. For me and my imposter syndrome, when it was super active, it just, I, I was so, what I needed to know was what were they thinking about me? Not just what they were thinking. What are they thinking about me? Because, Shelly, they were, and it wasn't positive. And it was so amazing how you could kind of get to this place. It was like, oh, look at that, that little gesture, that little hmm, smirk. Yeah, I know how you really feel about me. <laughs> yeah. And so the ADHD piece here, back up on the slopes of Mount Rainier, is first of all, we don't like openings. If there's an opening and we can't fill that in with, or it's not filled in with that response, that, that creativity we can be extremely creative, but we can be creative in procrastination. We can be creative in catastrophizing and scenarios that are like, well, yep, this is it. Kind of convincing me of this belief that I am a fraud. 
somehow I don't belong here or they're not happy. What you said about your client was, first of all, again, filling in the blank. It's kind of like you throw it into this washing machine and then you put it on this spin cycle that never ends. And it's just wash, rinse, repeat over and over, spiraling, supersize. You kind of zoom in to this thing. You're not looking at all of the evidence. I think a couple of weeks ago, you talked about a client who in a different situation, the job situation was untenable and they thought it had to do with them and their performance when in fact, it was just not feasible, the setup of the environment, what the whole organization was trying to do. It just wasn't compatible, but she had zoomed in and kind of self-selected her evidence that reinforced the narrative of this inner critic. We all have an inner critic but ours is sprinkled with a little bit of MSG. They're just enhanced. Our megaphone is a little bit bigger. It's a little bit louder. It gets our attention. So there is a connection that if you have ADHD, it's likely that you have this inner critic and that you may have had periods where you have this imposter syndrome. I'll just say one more thing. And that's, we've talked about Barclay's executive function model. We've talked about the four circuits of the what, the when, the who, and the why. And we've talked about in Big C Coaching, the importance of the who and the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? What's that bigger positive context? Who are you? And your card catalog that you introduced as we meander that road up to the lunch counter and go through the lunch counter and up to the slopes of causation and these learnings that we're creating, this index of learnings, of who we are, those dissipate, those evaporate, those fade. And we forget that. In the moment, we forget that. Barclay talks about how the fact that we don't have these positive internal language scripts, they're not there or they're really hard to create. And so in the absence of that, well, what do we do? We fill in the blank. And we take kind of a sampling of this current moment, not remembering all the past successes, not remembering all the people who are on our team. It's very selective. And this is definitely in the realm of executive functioning, of working memory, of pulling out language that is positive, positive imagery. It's all there. So that kind of spin cycle, that supersizing, the black and white thinking, it all conspires to create this product of feeling like a fraud. Cam, I'm glad you brought in black and white thinking because I have something to say there. But first, I have to say that I love the MSG metaphor. You saw me grin so big when you said that because some of the phenomenon we talk about on this show are not unique to ADHD. Imposter syndrome is not unique to ADHD, but the way that it manifests for us is unique exactly for the reasons Cam described, because we have a little extra there because of how our executive function is impacted. As far as black and white thinking goes, I want to go back to this same client because after she relayed this story about her client and how it played out, she said, now, A couple of weeks before that, I had just given a presentation in my area of expertise that went 
so well, better than I ever could have imagined. I was on top of the world. It was one of those moments where I just knew that I was in the right place doing the right work. Yet this client situation happens and it knocks me all the way down. And I said to her, that sounds like a bit of black and white thinking to me. That caught her by surprise. She said, I don't think of myself as a black and white thinker, but I see it here. And it's that lack of being able to examine and learn from our lived experiences. In that one moment after the presentation, she was very successful and felt very successful and felt on top of the world. In the next moment with this client scenario, she felt very unsuccessful, very shaky, was questioning her expertise, her ability to do this. And the reality is the truth is somewhere in the middle. You know, none of us is 100% amazing at what we do all of the time. Y'all, if you could hear the outtakes that come out of this podcast before you get the beautifully produced result that you get, you would know that Cam and I don't have it 100% of the time. Nobody does. The truth is somewhere in the middle. And failure is a part of growth as much as success is. But when we're ping-ponging back and forth between feeling like we're on top of the world and we're killing it and we're a failure and the world is killing us, we can't see that. We can't see the reality at all in either place. So the place of overconfidence and feeling overly successful, I think is just as dangerous to us as the other. And when we're ping-ponging back and forth, we don't see it because we crave more of the positive side. Well, the, the ping-ponging is, my clients will describe it as like a roller coaster. And what's the alternative to that? The alternative is the consistent, boring middle ground. Well, I don't want that. And what do we do? We chase the biggest signal. So we can kind of go from these extremes of intense positive to intense negative. It's not about taking all the hunters that are listening and turning you into farmers to pull something from way back from Tom Hartman, but to bring some consistency and to be curious about that middle ground, the middle ground of competence, of expertise. You just mentioned, I think that with people listening, they're like, okay, well, what do I do about this? What do I do? Well, so what'd you do, Shelly? Like, what'd you do to move on? You said kind of like, it's not about me to distinguish their experience from yours and not let them collapse. But what else did you do to manage imposter syndrome? Cam, if you remember, we worked on this in coaching. So I did my own work in coaching to notice and name that that is what was happening, first of all, because I believe at the time the topic I brought was... I have these couple of clients that just dropped off and it seems like this keeps happening to me. So the work we did was both around understanding, naming, getting familiar with my imposter syndrome and distinguishing that from the reality of the situation, but then looking at the reality of the situation. How could I show up differently for my clients manage expectations differently, set better boundaries so that this stops happening. Because I want every client to be consistent in coaching. I want every single client that coaches with me to be as consistent as their life allows them to be, because that's how they're going to get where they're going. So it was a two-parter because there was the actual problem of clients that disappeared. And then there was what I was telling myself about the problem. So I needed to distinguish those two. And doing that allowed me to then work on the problem. So I set expectations with my clients up front, what I expect of them, what they ought to expect of me as their coach, 
what I will do if there are consistency challenges, because look, I try to be as flexible as I can be with my clients. Number one, we all have ADHD here. Number two, emergencies happen in life. I don't like to be in the business of charging my clients for sessions they're not attending, so long as it's not a regular pattern. Because if I have something come up, I had an emergency come up on Monday. We are recording this podcast on Tuesday. And I moved all of my Monday clients to Tuesday. And you know why I was able to do that? Because I model for them that I will do the same for them. But with that comes the conversation of consistency and what I expect there. And that was a conversation I wasn't having with my clients before. And in addition to that, I manage their expectations around if you stop showing up, if you stop communicating with me, here is what I will do, which is also stating what I won't do, meaning I won't feel an obligation to that client beyond a certain point. I will reach out so many times. And if I get nothing back, my obligation there ends and I'm able to let go. And that's something I wasn't able to do before. You know, as you're talking there, I'm just thinking about when you're able to name it, identify it, distinguish it, then you can get to some useful structural elements. And I'm just reminded of the example you gave last week around grief and your client of building facades. That when we're doing our behaviors, listening to, say, our inner critic and, and feeling like a fraud, that takes so much of our attention that the idea of thinking about boundaries and expectations completely escapes us. And those conversations with our clients around expectations and boundaries and agreements. How do you want to show up? How do you want to work this thing? How do you want to work together on your agenda? So starting with listeners, like just naming it. When are you vulnerable to this imposter syndrome? For me, it was when I was teaching in school and there were people around me just who were performers. I mean, they had the performance thing down and they were multi-talented. And I was a comparing guy. We're externally wired and so I'm comparing myself to them. And just the thought in my brain was, when will they find me out? That was the pervasive thought. And so then everything that I did from that point forward was really, was lighting up my limbic system. And it was like, I have to be on guard. Well, we use our limbic system to be on guard in order to activate for task because we don't have that in the prefrontal cortex area. So it's a coping mechanism. The one thing that I did was, you know, when I did wash out from teaching, which I did, I burned out and I was done and I was cooked and I couldn't go back. And that realization of, you know, not completing things, becoming a coach. What I did though was I started coaching. I coached and I practiced. And as you're, you were talking about your client earlier, Shelly, it's developing a skill set in a specific area, becoming an expert in something was what helped me. I just started teaching a class yesterday. It was a class of new coaches and there were 20 people and they were from all over the world, from Turkey, from Germany, from Great Britain, from France, from Chile, from the US, from Canada. And I was just was blown away of like, wow, here I am working with these people and they're coming to learn from me and I get to impart my wisdom 
and knowledge to them. That imposter was not in the room because I have a sense of what my offering is. And that's the damnable thing about ADD is that we will start to develop or sort of sharpen that saw, as Stephen Covey will say, but then lose it or set it aside. Coming back and kind of developing your practice, developing your craft, whatever it is, it reinforces what matters to you and who you are. And starting to develop a practice around affirmations and gratitude. I think it was Tim Ferriss who has his his launch in the morning. He talks about affirmations in the morning and gratitude at night. And oh yeah, make your bed too. But the important thing is this kind of exercising that muscle. We talked about the six C's long ago. The six C's that are about completion. Commitments in the middle. Choice and curiosity are on the front side. On the other side of commitment is creativity in your action, completing, getting things done to a completion point. And the last one is the celebration. It's that acknowledging. What do we do? We tend to complete and we're behind. So we rush ahead and we don't stop to consider, I did that. That declaration of, I did that, not only puts a bookmark as to where that project or task is now, but it's an acknowledgement or evidence that you're not an imposter. What I do with that inner critic, I would send them on vacation or I'd send them to do research. Hey, that's a pretty, that's pretty tough what you're saying there. Can you go find evidence for that? Because I, I want a little bit more evidence. I don't trust you. And you just like to get, you just like to kind of tangle with me, get my dander up. So pausing and separating that voice out from your own voice. You are not your inner critic. And the inner critic is trying to kind of pick a fight. So distinguishing that, seeking evidence of what they're saying, it's likely if you step back and look around, it's not there. So there's a lot to be done here. We're just scratching the surface. We did want to introduce imposter syndrome here because so many people have been asking about it. And I hope that we're giving you some ideas of sort of where to begin here. Well said, Cam. I feel like what you just described there in terms of honing your craft really ties into journey thinking. When I stopped thinking of my coaching practice as a destination and started thinking of it as a practice, and not just the practice of getting better at coaching, but the practice of getting better at being a business owner, the practice of getting better at being a collaborator and a content creator, these are all practices. There's no fixed point where I have arrived in any one of these. And when I really embraced that, it did wonders for my imposter syndrome. Because instead of looking for that fixed end point, I'm just looking to get better at what I do. I'm looking to hone my craft, as you said. And that's why we are such big proponents of journey thinking in coaching and here on this show. And in life, you said it makes you a better collaborator and coach, business owner. It makes you a better human. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we could do a whole episode on the notion of practice, honestly, and putting that into play in a bigger way because practice and journey thinking go hand in hand. Yep. So I think that's a good place for us to pause for this week. If you like what we're doing here on the show, the number one way you can help us out is to leave a review wherever you listen. Reviews help other people find the show. The second way you can support the show is by becoming a patron. Visit the website, translatingadhd.com. 
click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. And for $5 a month, not only are you financially supporting the show, you are also gaining access to our Discord community where members are working together to do their own Understand, Own, Translate work, where Cam and I are participating alongside members, answering questions and helping them find their own answers. And where we have just announced that we are going to do twice a month Q&As with either Cam or I on Thursday evenings. We will have already had the first one by the time this episode drops, which would have been on the 14th of January. But the second one will be on the 28th at 9 Eastern. So now is a great time to join the community if you haven't already. So until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.